Well, good morning, everyone. Praise be to God. So glad you're here, and thank God for his faithfulness to you and, and for your faithfulness to the Lord. I'm wondering this morning, have you ever wondered, why isn't there a best this year sauce instead of a worst this year sauce? Ever wonder why a dog, why can't a dog get a CAT scan? Why do people say don't mention it after you've already mentioned it? If the TV show has been on for 50 years, how young and restless can these people really be? If people are restricted from visiting that part of the hospital, why is it called I see you instead of I can't see you? And you ever ask yourself, why are some people spiritually healthy while others are not? It's no secret that the most important part of you is the condition of your soul, your heart, the real you inside of you. And our text today from Galatians chapter 5 is incredible wisdom from God. In Galatians 1, Paul said these words, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And in verse 17, Paul said, For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. And then Paul said in verse 25, If we live by the spirit, let us also walk by or keep in step with the Holy Spirit. Now, keep in mind, Paul wrote Galatians around A.D. 50, only about 15 to 20 years after the death of Jesus. It was written to the Christian churches in the area of Galatia, in Asia Minor, and Paul wrote the letter to defend the gospel because of a dangerous false teaching. What was it? The first Christians in Jerusalem were Jewish. As the gospel spread out from the center, many Gentiles or non-Jewish people began to receive the Lord. A group of teachers in Galatia rose up and began to insist that the new Gentile Christians practice all the ceremonial customs of the law of Moses. And these Judaizers, or false teachers, insisted that the Gentiles had to observe all the dietary laws and circumcision to be fully accepted by God. You say, well, that was then. Well, you know, it, it, it's even now. I go to some places who actually tell me I cannot preach there unless I have a necktie on. I go to some places that tell me before I get there, uh, Jesus used the King James Version, so you must use the King James Version. Even though it was written 1,611 years after Jesus lived, you wouldn't think that would exist today. I go to some places where you cannot partake of communion and celebrate the, the, birth, the, 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 the death and resurrection of the Lord unless you have first been baptized in water. I go to some places where you think, hmm, is that really freedom? Paul comes along, raised up by God, and deals with an attack against the gospel of salvation by faith instead of works. And why is Galatians often called the Magna Carta of the church? The Magna Carta. Magna Carta is the Latin for great charter of freedoms. It comes from the Charter of Rights or Freedoms agreed to by King John of England near Windsor in, on June 15, 1215, 805 years ago. 
It was written to protect the rights and the freedoms and the property against a tyrannical king. In other words, God has used the message of Galatians or freedom to bring great awakenings to the hearts of millions, millions of people. It's often called the Magna Carta of all believers, the Magna Carta of the gospel, of the Bible. Martin Luther and the Reformation was stirred as, as Martin Luther studied Galatians. John Wesley said when he, he, that he received, I quote, the peace for which he so longed for when he heard the message preached from Galatians. And in this series in Galatians 5, I want to answer three questions this morning. What does it really mean to be called unto liberty and be free? Secondly, what does it mean to walk in the Spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh? And number three, verse 24, how is it possible to crucify the flesh and follow the Holy Spirit's leading in each area of your life? The freedom, the fight, and then how we follow Jesus. Let's look at the freedom first of all. In verse 1, Paul said, so Christ was, has really set us free. Now make sure that you stay free. How many of you would rather be free today than locked up in jail? Okay, about eight of you. That's awesome. That's awesome. Now why did Paul say this? Because the Jews were offended when Paul preached Christ as the only salvation for sinners. And this is, a, this is a message that has such deep meaning in my heart because when, when I was in a wheelchair for a couple years and lived with my grandparents uh, who were pastors at the Pentecostal Church in Hamilton in Leesburg, Virginia, I, 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 my first introduction to any church life at all was, was that independent Pentecostal holiness church was so exclusive that there were 57 rules you had to abide by before you could become a member of the church. I can remember like it was today. I remember them when members would come up and apply, and, they, and then they would ask them, like, 50, there, was, there were actually 57, it was, like, it was like Heinz ketchup, 57 varieties. If a woman wore pants, you couldn't, oh, on Sunday, you, you know, she was, uh, mm -mm, no, can't do that. If a woman wore makeup, ah, she was close to be calling, uh, you know what. If you wore jewelry, if a man had long hair, if anybody had a tattoo, if you shopped on Sunday, if you owned a television, I had, they called it a hellavision, a one-eyed demon. All these rules. And I was nine years old, I'm in a wheelchair, wondering how in the world? And so I lived with that for two years, and, and then it went my way, and then was radically, uh, radically saved because someone shared the gospel with me at the age of 19 in Tampa, Florida. I wonder how... What is freedom? So Paul uh, deals with these Jewish legalists who followed Paul, who taught three things. Yes, you need to trust Jesus for your salvation, but you also need to keep the law and all of its requirements. And it takes these two things together to make you fully accepted by God. And so God raises Paul up, who teaches a different order. Paul says you need to believe and trust in Jesus alone for your salvation. Number two, you're then fully accepted by God and justified. And then three, flowing out of that right standing with God because of his love and grace, it comes a life of joy and gratitude and obedience to God. In other words, I don't have to, I get to. I don't have to be here today, I get to be here today. How many of you thank God you don't have to be here, but you get to be here because of the amazing, amazing grace of God? How many of you thank God today that God hasn't given you what you deserve, he's given you what you didn't deserve? How many of you thank 
thank God today. It's amazing grace that allows us to be here today. It's the grace of God. Now, why is this such a big deal to Paul that I don't deserve, uh, I, I don't serve God and work harder to become accepted? I serve God and love Him because I've already been accepted by His grace, not because of my works. Why it's a big deal? Here's why it's a big deal. Because millions of people, church-going, religious, kind, good people, are trying harder and harder and harder and harder to to find favor with God. It's no secret. Millions of people are anxious because they base their acceptance with God on their walk and their works. Worried if they've done enough works and had enough good behavior for God to love them. When my son was about eight or nine years old, he was in Little League, and he played baseball for like the next 25 years, and then he grew up a little bit after he turned 30. And I'll never forget the game at LaSalle Park where Robbie was in right field, and our our team was winning 7-4. We were up by three runs in the last inning. It was the bottom of the seventh inning. The other team was up, and the... uh, the uh, pitcher on our team walked the bases loaded. We were still winning those seven to four, no, no sweat. And, they, and the, co- the coach comes out and he, he calls Robbie from right field, my son, to pitch. And Robbie, bases were loaded. Robbie walks the first guy. Man, I chewed off two fingernails. And then Robbie, on four pitches, walks the next guy. He was really throwing hard, but he just wasn't straight. And then Robbie walked the third guy, and the game was tied, 7-7. Seven to seven. And then, lo and behold, Robbie threw four straight balls, bases loaded, and walked the last guy. Winning run comes in. The other team is rejoicing. Coach makes them shake their other hands. And, and I remember parked in the parking lot. Uh, I went to the car, and Robbie walking across the field, head down, loping over. He opened the car door of that big old Buick, Oldsmobile, Delta, whatever it was. He's eight, nine years old. He, he sits in the car and, and he, he, he burst out in tears. Just began weeping uncontrollably and said, Dad, I'm so sorry. He almost looked, he almost looked, he almost looked, he had this weird look in his eye when I said, Robbie, I love you anyway. Really? Yeah, I said, Robbie, how'd you like to go out and get some ice cream? His eyes opened. Really? You're going to be kind to me, even though I don't deserve it? You love me just as much before the game, after the game? Are you kidding me? You know what? Parents don't love their kids because they're good or bad. You know why you love your kids? You love them because they're yours. Now, how many of you thank God that his love never changes? How many of you thank God he's not against us, he's for us? I didn't love Robbie because he was a good pitcher. He wasn't on that day. I loved Robbie because he was mine. That's why Paul said in Galatians 5, 4, if you're trying to make yourselves right with God by keeping all the law, you've fallen away from God's grace. And in verse 13, for you've been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. So where is our freedom found? It's found in verse 7 of Galatians chapter 5. You were running the race so well, Paul said, who has held you back from following the truth? So what's the truth that Paul's referring to? The truth is is simply this. It's the truth of the gospel of being justified by faith. 
Galatians 2.16 says, We know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ. We know that a person is made right with God by faith. No, it's not by works. It's by what? It's by faith in what he's done. And secondly, Galatians 3.6, Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. And then verse 9, everyone who puts their faith in Christ shares the same blessing Abraham received because of his faith. So here's the truth of the gospel. The truth of the gospel has two parts, justified by faith without the deeds of the law, and then righteous in our standing because of Christ's sacrifice. Isaiah said it this way in Isaiah 61.10. I'm overwhelmed with joy in the Lord my God. For he, God, has dressed me with the clothing of salvation and draped me or covered me in the robe of righteousness. And in 1 Corinthians 1.30, listen to what Paul said again. Because of him, of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. So if anyone boasts, they should boast only, only, only. Boast, if you're going to boast in something, boast in this. Boast only of what the Lord has done. Now what do these three scriptures mean? They mean we can't achieve our right standing with God, but we can only receive our salvation and right standing with God. In other words, it's God who covers us. Because it's Christ who became our righteousness. So we can, we can work for it and never rest, or we can trust his work and continually rest. So the gospel, get this, now this is the key to the chapter. The gospel has two parts to it. Sometimes, sometimes it's called the great exchange. Part one, justification. Part two, the righteousness of Jesus. So what does the gospel mean? The gospel means a great exchange has taken place. On the cross, all of our sin was placed on Jesus when he died in our place. But also imputed to you or credited to your account is the perfect obedience of Jesus. In other words, on the cross we are forgiven just if we've never sinned. But also, now get this, all of Christ's righteousness because of his perfect obedience was credited to us so that we are now free from the law or the law's condemnation and penalty and punishment towards us. If we don't get this part, we do not live with the power of a clear conscience. We do not live with the joy of the Lord. We live with a harshness and a rigidness that restricts us and helps us to offend people so easily. But since we've been freed from the law's demand, we now stand in the perfect obedience of Jesus. So what does this all mean? It means two things. Forgiveness means just as if we'd never sinned. Righteous standing means just as if we've always obeyed. Did you hear that? Just as if you've always obeyed God. Your whole, how many of you have never always obeyed God? Is there anybody here who's going to tell the truth today? I broke the law just this week. Just this week I was driving down the thruway. Sign says 65, I go 70. Any of you ever do that? Look at your neighbor and tell them, no, tell the truth, tell the truth, sure. Righteous standing means just as if I've always obeyed. Think of that. God looks at us because of Jesus, just as if we've always obeyed. Now, Paul's dealing with two things here. Just as if I'd never sinned, forgiven, and just as if I've always obeyed, righteous before God. It was a Sunday morning and Niagara Falls First Assembly. 
I'll never forget that Sunday. After the service was over and everybody was leaving, there was just a couple people. Left. There's a lady sitting right over here. She's not old. She's not young. And that's all relevant today. And I don't know. I don't know. I asked a boy at the front of the door one, one Sunday. I said, he said it was his birthday. And I said, hey, how old, how old are you? He said, I'm eight. I said, how old do you think I am? The little boy said, you're about 100. So I realized it's all relative. She was, I don't know, 30, 40, somewhere. And she was weeping convulsively, but it wasn't a joyful weeping. It was a stressful weeping. Stressful weeping. So as the pastor, I simply went over and I I just tapped her on the shoulder and said, "Is is there anything we can pray with you about today? I'll never forget her response. She looked at me with this, with this horrified look and said, I've had three abortions. There's no way that God could love me. I had the privilege of sharing with her the gospel. It's not whether you've had one abortion or two abortions or three abortions. It's not whether you've been a car thief and stole three cars, four cars, or five cars. It's not whether you've been an alcoholic for one year, two years, or three years. It's not whether you've had a rebellious heart for 10 years, 20 years, 30, or 40 years. When God forgives us, he, gives, he forgives us of everything. When he gives us standing, it's a righteous standing. Get this, just as if we've always obeyed God every day of our life. And until that sinks in, we never really get to enjoy the enjoy the gift that God has given us. How many of you thank God today that God has not only forgiven you of everything, but now he looks at you just as if you'd never sinned because of Jesus who took your place. How many of you thank God for the grace of God that is greater than every sin that you've ever committed? That's got to sink in. When that sinks, here's what happens when that sinks in. It helps you not be harsh with other people. When you understand the mercy of God towards you, it's easy to be merciful to other people. It really is. Why? Because you know how, God, how good that God has been to you. By grace, our slate is wiped clean. And by grace, our standing before God is imputed perfect righteousness. That's why Paul said in Galatians 5.1, Make sure, make sure you stand firm and free, and don't get caught up with the deception of legalism, of trying to earn or merit God's favor on your own. So what's our responsibility in light of this great privilege of freedom? We have a great privilege, but now we have responsibility. What's the great responsibility? The responsibility is simply this. We have a fight. How many of you know we are in a spiritual fight? How many of you ever had tension on the How many of you, so, a part of you sometimes wants to do good and another part of you wants to do bad? Oh, never mind. I'm in the wrong place today. I'll just read it to you from the Scripture then. Verse 16 of Galatians 5. Let the Holy Spirit guide you, and you you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Verse 17. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. And these two are what? Opposed to each other. Opposed. Opposed. That means there's a war, a tension in all of us. Here's what the word flesh means. Paul's talk, here's what Paul is talking about when he says the flesh. The Greek word for, for the English word flesh, the Greek word sarx, is used different ways in Scripture. In Luke 24, 39, it refers to our physical body. In Galatians 3, it refers to our self-effort. In Romans 6, 19, the word flesh refers to our weaknesses In Romans 7, uh, 5, it refers to our former condition before salvation. 
But in Galatians 5.17, our text today, the word flesh refers to our carnal nature that is operative in all of us all the days of our lives. For the flesh, the sarks, lust against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and the two are what? Contrary. You know what this means? Here's what that means. It means the flesh is that principal fallenness that's operative in our present condition. It's that principle of sin residing in all of us that drives us to do what our redeemed nature doesn't want us to do. The Bible calls it opposed. The flesh in Galatians 5 simply describes the strong desire that leads to sin, and it reveals an internal war that everybody without exception has to deal with this side of heaven. And Paul's war is everybody's war. For instance, you come home from work to be with your family. You have two choices. Do you flop on the couch and watch TV till 11 o'clock? Or are you fully present and engaged with those who love you? Two choices. You're driving down the road and someone cuts you off. Two choices. Are you able to endure their inconsideration? Or do you tailgate them, scream nasty things, make them pay for their behavior, and then invite them to Trinity Assembly of God on Sunday morning? You're shopping at Wegmans or Walmart. You unload your groceries in the car. Two tensions. Two tr- I see it all the time. So do you. Do you leave your cart in the middle of the parking lot? To drift away and run into someone else's car? Or do you put it back in the place where it belongs? You're backing out of Wegmans or Walmart and you and you side squipe side, side squipe. Yeah, that's not a word. Side, how about swipe? Side swipes of the car next to you. Two choices. Hurry up and rush out and take off. Or leave your name and your number. Two choices. You're, you're surfing the TV. Two choices. Do you entertain yourself with something that violates your values? Or do you guard your heart with all diligence through the eye gate? Two choices. You get paid your salary for working all week. Two choices. Spend it all on ourselves? Or do we honor God with 10% of all and plus love offerings to support our missionaries? Two choices. Service is over day. You, today you go home to eat dinner or out if you're six feet apart in a restaurant that has a free table? Do you slander the pastor to diminish his influence because he preached the truth? Or do you pray for the pastor and those in authority in your local church? Two choices. You go to the McDonald's and the server gives you too much change when you pay your bill. That's happened to me twice in the last two months. Not at McDonald's, once at McDonald's and once somewhere else. Two choices. Do you say, praise the Lord, their loss is my gain. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. I love you, Lord. Look at that free $20 bill. Or do you return what's rightfully theirs because you trust God to supply all your needs? You're offended by someone, by a decision that you don't agree with. A, does humility allow you to forgive and trust in the sovereignty of God? Or B, do you become toxic from feeding a wounded spirit? Just this week, I was accused of lying. Uh, just this week, about four days, five days ago, I was uh, hunting there in the farmland down in uh, Cooperstown, New York, and there's a McDonald's five miles away in Richfield Springs. And I went in one day and uh, this week, and I, I looked at it. I'd never seen the board before. It's not my favorite place, but it's like the only place that's open in Richfield Springs. And there was a dollar board. 
You can get a hamburger for a dollar, drink any size for a dollar, French fries. There's like four. There was like seven or eight things for a dollar. I thought, this is awesome. $3 plus tax, $3.24. How can you not enjoy a meal like that? So the next day, I went back, drove through the window, asked for the same thing. This week, three days ago. And the gentleman behind the counter said, uh, oh, we don't do that here. I said, oh, I, I did it yesterday. Are you sure? Oh, he said, we haven't. No, we, we, we don't do that here. He said, that was another McDonald's you went to. I said, well, you know, I'm losing hair, losing teeth, not losing weight, but losing stuff. And, uh, but I don't think I've lost my mind yet. I was here yesterday. and I had another person with me. He's, he's sitting over here. And uh, I knew he would stand up for me. So he leans over and he says to the, he says to the young man, he said, uh, I was with him and we were here. Well, he didn't receive that very well. He went and got the person in charge. Oh, and she was in charge. The manager came to the window, and before I could even say, hello, how are you? She went off on me. She said, you bought that at another McDonald's because we don't have that here. And my friend said, I was with him yesterday, and we got that here. Oh, that did not go well. I don't speak French. Come on, tally vous. I don't speak French. But I could tell this was good. And then she, she started accusing me of this. And I said, and I said you know, the deal was a dollar for a hamburger. And, and, and you're telling me now it's $1.29. Now, how many of you are 29 cents is not going to make or break your day or my day? But I felt something inside of me that wanted to park my car and prove to her and go in there and somehow prove to her that she was wrong and I was right. But all oh, the Lord is teaching me when those feelings come up. The Lord is teaching me how not to catastrophize normalities. Huh? The Holy Spirit's teaching some of you how not to catastrophize normalities. So I said to Jared, I said, you want to park the car and go in? Or do you just want to eat the 29 cents and move on? <laughs> Well, that was a no-brainer because, well, never mind. What is Paul saying? Paul was saying God has made it possible to overcome the impulses that lead us away from him, but we have to cooperate in the process by doing our part to feed the spirit and starve the flesh. So God has made it possible but our participation is required in the process. That's why Paul said the two forces with us are constantly fighting each other to win control over us, and our wishes are never free from their pressure. So two choices and two consequences. Choice number one, submit to the Holy Spirit, or by default, fulfill the lust of the flesh. Consequence number one is verse 19 to 21, 15 works of the flesh, sowing to the flesh, produces four things, sexual sin, religious sin, relational sins, and sins of excess. And Paul lists 15 of them. All because of not looking to the Lord to satisfy our heart. But then he says, sowing to the Spirit results in good fruit. Verse 22 and 23, all because of our intimacy with Jesus, surrendering to the Holy Spirit's working, and responding to the initial promptings of the Holy Spirit. So how do we win the battle? The last few moments, how do we win the battle? Yes, thank God we're free. But yes, let's, re let's understand, we're all in a fight. There's an internal war in all of us. But how do we win? How do we follow Jesus 
How do we enjoy the journey with a healthy soul? Your soul is made up of three parts. Your mind, the ability to think, your, uh, your emotions, the ability to feel, and your will, the ability to choose. So how do we have a healthy soul? Here's, how, here's what Paul says. Verse 24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Verse 25, if we're living now by the Holy Spirit, let us follow the Holy Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Verse 26, and let us not become conceited. So we're free. We're in a fight. But now we're told how to follow Jesus. Notice Paul's words here. Crucified the flesh. It means that salvation, just as Jesus died, so we died and turned our back from the flesh to God. It simply means this. We turn to Jesus as our new master. As Jesus died for us so we can die to our, the control of our flesh and sin and bondage and control and enslavement and passions that pull us in the wrong direction. It means we follow in his steps and depend upon his grace to make new decisions. Paul said, follow the Holy Spirit's leading, which means we all have a choice to either sow to the Spirit or sow to the flesh. What's it mean? It means God gives us grace to obey the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Well, what's our part? We all have a part. Here's our part. We sow to the Spirit and not to the flesh. That's not legalism, it's obedience. It's not foolishness, it's wisdom. It means the nature that we feed is the one that will rule. It means the more we say no to the flesh, the more that sin loses its strength in our lives. It means the seed that we sow is the harvest we will grow. It means our life will always go in the direction of our most dominant thoughts. Sowing, sowing, sowing. It's our part in the process. Paul said, you will always harvest what you plant. Paul said, give yourselves to righteous living so you will become holy in your practice. Paul said, do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Paul said, letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to spiritual death. Titus 2.14 says, Jesus gave his life to free us from every kind of sin. In other words, we participate so that God can reach his fullest potential in us. Paul says not to be carnally minded, but spiritually minded. What's that mean? It means look to Jesus for your ultimate pleasure or contentment. It means to feed your spiritual man, whatever makes you stronger in the Lord. Pastor David said before service about giving, how, how, how it's the heart. It's how, how understanding the generosity of God. My, my cousin was the first one to win the million-dollar lottery. He bought a lottery ticket. They were selling him at Dunkin' Donuts in Owings Mills, Maryland. It was like 1975 or 76, the first million-dollar lottery in the state of Maryland. My, my cousin, the two, two brothers, one, one God-fearing and one, uh, one rebel. And guess who won the million dollars? The rebel won the million dollars. You think he was happy? No, he left his wife and two kids and moved to Florida by himself to spend his fortune. Why? Because his heart was estranged from God. He had all the stuff. He was a hero. He was on the news. But he was lost apart from God and out of control. In other words, it's about dealing with the nature or the root. You know what, why sin is sin? Sin is sin because we believe that something or someone has greater value than Jesus for our ultimate joy and satisfaction. The musicians are going to be coming. Even now they can come up. 
Why is this so important? Get this. Because health, healthy followers of Jesus embrace humility that leads to, to confession. Confession makes way for forgiveness. Confession of sin gives release to our troubled hearts. I close with this in his book, Galatians for You. Tim Keller writes this on page 157. He says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. What's that mean? Here's what Keller says. I quote, verse 24 is talking about an ongoing crucifixion, which we ourselves do to our sinful nature. He says, get this, our desires which generate desires that lead us to sin must be replaced with Christ's desires. As we do that, we put to death our old flesh nature. And, and Keller uses this term, clearing room, clearing room for the fruit of the Spirit to grow. He says it's an active process which we do with the help of the Holy Spirit. In other words, there's God's part and there's our part. There's our part to do what? Clear the room. Ask God to go deeper and change our hearts. It's not legalism. It's obedience. It's not passive. It's active. It's not works righteousness. It's responding in humility and confession and repentance to what? Clear the room in our hearts of all debris and misplaced desires. It helps us to overcome the if-onlys. If only I had that job, I'd be happy. If only I had that wife, I'd be happy. If I only had that husband, I'd be happy. If only this, I'd be happy. If only I had that car, I'd be happy. If only I had that home, I'd be happy. If only I could, if only, if only, if only, if only. The if-onlys are never satisfied. The list never stops. Why? Because it's our heart. We need the grace of God to change our hearts. Pastor Antonia preached here on... September 6th, this year, from 2 Samuel 22. She talked about David's heart being stirred in the songs that he wrote. She said, we all have a song. Everybody here has a song. Do you know that? Everybody here worships something? Everybody here worships. You, the decision you and I have is who we worship. Pastor Antonia said three things. She said, our songs are what come out of us because of what goes into us. What are you allowing God? What are you allowing? What are you allowing to go into you? Secondly, she said, a question. She said, what have I filled my heart with which is not of God? And thirdly, she said, whatever we fill our hearts with will determine our kingdom impact. In the Union with Jesus series, Pastor David said these words. I quote, Jesus wants to tear down every kingdom in your heart to build his kingdom. Jesus is the biggest threat to your kingdom. Our kingdoms of comfort, success, status, power, influence, being liked, performance, the easy life, the controlling life, the better-than-you life of self-righteousness. We have the freedom because of the gospel so we can rest from our performance trying to get in and gain favor with God. Secondly, the fight of our flesh means this. We have a responsibility to sow to the Spirit now that God has accepted us in the Beloved. We are what we eat. We grow what we sow. And thirdly, following of the Savior means we have the resource of the Holy Spirit, verse 24, 25, and 26. As we humble ourselves before God, God gives and give God permission to change us through humility, confession, and repentance. 
The Holy Spirit moves us from the factual to the functional. The Spirit moves us from enslavement to freedom so we can cry out, Abba, Father. Are you willing to give God permission to go deeper in your heart and change what needs to be changed? I dare not. I'm not a betting. I'm not a gambler. But I know none of us here are perfect and we're all in process. But to make progress in God, we, we must come with transparency and humility and give God permission to change what needs to be changed. Would you bow your head in a word of prayer, every head bowed, every eye closed just for a moment? We're all in the journey. There's no super saint here. We thank God for the freedom of the gospel and what it means. And Paul says, stay firm, stand firm, and don't drift back to trying to earn favor with God by your do's and don'ts. But Paul was also very real and pragmatic. He says, we have a responsibility to sow to the Spirit now that God has accepted us in the Beloved because we are what we eat. And Paul says, we can follow the Savior with the joy of the Lord because we have the resource of the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit speaks to our heart and we cooperate with God. He moves us forward. He, help, he gains new ground in our hearts, and that's what today is all about. I know it's Thanksgiving weekend. I know you've had a great week of rest and food and whatever. But today is a specific moment where God speaks to us by the Holy Spirit and lets us know it's about our heart. And He wants all of our heart. So if you're here and you know there's something that God wants to change inside of you, and today you're willing to give God permission to change what needs to be changed inside of you. It's not the person next to you. It's you. God wants to speak to your heart and, and gain new ground in your heart. So wherever you're at today, wherever you're at on this beautiful November 20, 29th day, wherever you're at in the journey, I'm going to ask you very clearly, if there's something you know that God wants to change or needs to change. Maybe you're, maybe you're not absolutely positively sure you're born again. Today is your day. Just ask the Holy Spirit to make Jesus real to your heart. Today is your day to say yes. Simply say yes and receive God's free gift. So if that's you and you know there's something God wants to change inside your heart and you're willing to give Him, give him permission. If that's you, not for me, I don't need to see a hand, but for you. If, if you know there's something that God wants to change and you're willing to give Him permission, would you just slip your hand up, not to me, but to the Lord? Just right now in your seat, if you know there's something God's wanting to change and you're willing to give Him permission, just slip it up and then put it right back down. Anyone at all, God bless you. Thank you. God bless you for your transparency. Anyone else, God bless you for your faithfulness and transparency before the Lord. God. I give you permission. Father, I thank you for every man and woman in this place. I thank you most of all, Lord, for the grace of God that changes our human hearts. Thank you, God. We could not earn our, your gift. It comes by faith. Thank you, God, for reminding us we're all in a spiritual battle inside of, inside of all of us. But thank you, God, for the resource to direct our attention and our thoughts to replace every lesser desire with a greater desire for Jesus. 
God, go deeper is our prayer. God, change us into your likeness. Remove every distraction, every false promise and hope that we place in. God, remove it today. And may we seek first the kingdom of God and your righteousness and experience the joy of the Lord that comes from the power of you working in all of our hearts. We trust you for it. We thank you for it. We give you thanks for it. 